All right, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to let's turn to Matthew six. We're trying to uh, to wrap our minds around around biblical prayer. What what is prayer? Uh, what should we be praying for? Uh, and so in order to do that, what we've done is said, well, if we want to answer the question, what is prayer and how do we do it? Something we've, we teach our kids to do, something we've done for a long time. Some of us are uh, really comfortable with it. Others are, have always been nervous about it, whether we're praying in a group or, or which should be more nerve-wracking, just praying to God, right? Uh, we're like, I'm nervous when I'm around other people. When I'm talking to the God of the universe, I'm okay. Like, I can do that. Uh, well, how do we do? How do we do this prayer in a biblical way? And so we're, we went to, to Jesus' instruction on how to pray when his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. What did Jesus tell them? When Jesus wants to instruct uh, a, a group of people on the Sermon on, uh, on the Mount, what does he tell them uh, about prayer? And so we've been looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer uh, and the things that Jesus teaches us to ask for uh, and so not only are we looking at prayer in general, we're wanting to make sure we understand in that prayer, in that Lord's Prayer, what are we asking when we say things like, Father, hallowed be thy name? Because we don't want to just turn the Lord's Prayer into some sort of mantra. Uh, I, I was at the uh, abortion clinic, and we'll talk about that in just a second. And there's this lady there. Her name is, her name is Ellie. I talked to her. Uh, she's a Roman Catholic going through cancer treatments right now. Uh, but she's over there, and she's just... She's working through her little prayer on her little prayer beads. And if I go over to talk to her, she won't even stop that prayer. When I go to say hello, she just nods and keeps going through. Because in her mind, she's got to say the mantra right for the power of that prayer uh, to work, right? And so we don't want to turn the Lord's prayer into that. We don't want you guys just to know this 10-second prayer and go, okay, I've got prayer down. We want you to know when Jesus is telling you things like, our Father in heaven. Like when he's teaching you to begin your prayer with that, he's teaching you something about prayer. He's teaching you about the one to whom you're praying. Uh, and so when he tells you something like, when he doesn't just say God, although can you just say God, right? Uh, when, he, when he tells you to begin, our Father in heaven. Like what is God trying to teach us? And we saw how when we th- think about God, that, that, that sort of uh, powerful picture of the Lord and also the the perfection that it means when he is our father in heaven. And then when he says our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? What does it mean when we say hallowed be your name? And we saw that the word hallowed just means to holify your name. God, let your name be made holy. I want the world to think there is no one like God. There's no one like God, no one worthy of glory, honor, thanks, power. You're the only one worthy of any of those things. So when we say, Father, hallowed be your name, that's what we're praying. That in creation, the one name that would be above all other names uh, is the name of our Father in heaven. That's what we're praying. That's what Jesus is teaching us to pray. And so uh, we saw that if we want that to be true, if we want God to be holified uh, out there, then we said in our own homes, in our own hearts, in our own churches, we've got to make sure that his name is hallowed there, that, that we, we treat uh, God as if there's no one like him uh, in everything that we do if we want his name to be lifted up uh, in the world out there. And so that's what he taught his own, his own people, uh, Israel. Uh, well, today we're going we're gonna to talk about the, the next part in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, 
And so let's, let's read the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll, we'll start talking about this. Let's stand in the honor of, of reading God's Word just to remind ourselves physically just by that movement why we're here, what this is that we're reading, uh, and how blessed we are uh, to get it. And then let's pray that we uh, will be taught by the Lord as He promises He will do. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, teach us to pray today. It's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. So we're looking at this second request, uh, your kingdom come. So the second thing Jesus tells us to ask for, first, pray that God's name would be holified, that it would be lifted up. Second, that his kingdom, your kingdom would come. It's interesting. I was thinking about what to title this and what this is, and I, and I realized just how revolutionary this prayer is. It was, uh, I was at the abortion mill on Friday, as is, it tends to be always the case, uh, and it, it was interesting. I was, I was talking to uh, a car that had just pulled up, a guy who just drove up and, and shoved the woman out and started to drive away. And so I was hounding him as he was doing that and telling him to be a man and save his baby and, uh, and all this. And, and the owner of the business next door, see, the business next door has to come out, the business next door to the abortion clinic has to come out and block off the driveway because the abortion clinic will be so full that people start parking in the neighboring parking lot and they just don't want anything to, to do with people parking there. It's not that they're, it's going to be very clear. It's not that they're against what's going on. It's that they just don't want to have to deal with us saying, hey, you're letting them park in your parking lot. So she, she came out and she had these big orange cones. They, normally the last few times they've been parking a car sideways, these big orange cones. And I said, hey, I said, the Lord has put you in a really great spot next to this place. I said, you could be a help to us. You could be providing us with water. You could be encouraging us. You could be just even giving us a place to park. And she said, I don't believe in what you're doing, and I don't believe in what they're doing. I'm neutral, Uh, which was the worst thing she could say to me. Uh, And so we started to talk about how there is no... It's so funny that you could think, you've got... You've got babies dying here. You've got people here saying that the baby should not be killed, should not die. And the idea that you can somehow be neutral in that. Uh, I asked her, I said, would you be neutral in Nazi Germany if there, you know, there's, a, there's a concentration camp down the road? And I know you guys want them to stop that, but, but I'm just neutral. I said, would you be neutral in that? And her words, is very profound, were, oh, shut up. Uh, and she just went inside. Uh, and so she obviously had taken debate before as a class and logic and stuff like that. But what, what are we recognizing? There's, there's a war going on, a war between light and dark, between life and death. And the idea, you've got two kingdoms at war. You're wanting someone's kingdom to come. You are helping the advancement of some kingdom. You are belonging, you are a citizen of, you are working toward some kingdom. The idea that she could be neutral is impossible. And so as we're looking at this prayer, when we're praying, your kingdom come, we are praying a revolutionary prayer. We are saying, God, we want your kingdom to be here. We want you to rule and reign over all creation. 
We want, and this is what we'll have, we want your name to be hallowed, but hallowed is king, as sovereign. That's what we want. We want your name lifted up, and if your name's lifted up, your kingdom will come. You will reign over everything and everyone. Like I said, this is no, this is no minor prayer. This is, there's nothing short of calling for a revolution. And to understand that, to understand how this is a revolution, we have to learn about the kingdom of God itself. So when we say, God, your kingdom come, we've got to understand what we mean when we ask for his kingdom to be here. And we have to understand our desires for it. Because the kingdom of God has a history. And it has a history among the people of earth. And it's a question of who's going to be king in your life? Who's going to reign over your life? Who's going to be the one in charge of what you do and why you do it, even how you do it? And that's why this prayer is a revolutionary one, because mankind has a history of rejecting the kingdom of God, of rejecting his reign over their life. And it didn't take long. It didn't take long in man's history. In the garden, man rejected his creator's reign. From the very beginning, in the garden, man chose wickedness, chose a a, a creature over the creator. In the the very beginning, we we have God making a kingdom, God ruling over his creatures. And what is his one command? Don't eat of this tree, right? Fruit trees, you can have them. Tree of life, take and eat but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Look at what it says there. It says, now the, the serpent was more crafty than it. This will be in verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, should not eat of the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired and make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So you've got the situation. God's saying, look, here's every, you got the fruit trees. You've got everything, any tree, you got anything you want, even the tree of life, right? All of this laid out before you, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And instead of living, in subjection to the reign of God, to his one command over their life. Even though he'd supplied them, he had taken them and placed them in a garden and given everything that they needed. Even then, on on that very day that he did those things, it seems, they reject him as king and instead take the demonic advice of another one of his creatures of another one of his creations. God said this, but well, yeah, but the serpent said this. The serpent said, we can be like God. And, and here you have the kingdom of God already from the very beginning, humanity shucking the reign of the God who made them. 
But it didn't stop there. The rejection of God's kingship, his reign, didn't end on that day. It continued. If you're reading the the book of Genesis, creation just kind of spirals in these first few chapters. It just spirals on more and more into sin. Uh, In Genesis is 1 through 11, so you get to like Genesis 12, and then God makes a people, right? He makes a people of righteousness, and he's going to make himself their God Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a people. I've told you to be righteous. I'm gonna make a people. I'm gonna go and create them. I'm gonna change their hearts of stones, hearts of flesh. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna make a nation. But even they are going to reject him. Even the people of God are gonna say, "We don't want your kingdom here." So we see God's people reject His kingdom for a worldly one. We see them reject God and instead choose to follow the wicked demonic nations. God's people reject him as king because they want to be like the nation. This happens in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. It says, Then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now now this is is not surprising. Sometimes we forget, it's like, oh no, they're choosing a king. It's not surprising that they're choosing a king. God actually told the people they were going to do this. In, In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it, and they say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. So all the way back into, you got 500 years, 500 years before these events in 1 Samuel. Uh, and God says, look, this is what's going to happen. When you, when you become a nation, they're going to want to be like the nations around them. They're not going to want me to be their king. They're going to shuck me off. This is, and this is how you navigate that sinful choice when they do that. This is what you're going to do when you sinfully choose to have a king. When you decide you don't want me to be king, this is, this is what you tell that king and this is what you do. So the people are deciding they want to have a king like the nations. They want, uh, they want to be ruled not by God, but by the kings of the earth. And, and Samuel uh, upset because they feel like they're rejecting his leadership. That's why he runs to the Lord there at the end of verse 6. God comes to Samuel and he says, hey, look, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as king. So if you, you look at verse 7 of, of 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They are rejecting God as their king. And they're not rejecting Samuel. They're not really rejecting Samuel's sons. They are rejecting God. But they didn't reject God when they asked for a king like the nations. They didn't reject God here. This is what God's going to tell them. Look, they're not rejecting me now, right? This isn't a moment where all of a sudden they've got this bad turn. He tells Samuel, look, they rejected me as their king long ago. So you look at what he says in verse 8. He continues, According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. So he says, look, Samuel, this isn't new. 
This is just them outwardly showing what inwardly they've been doing for a while that they've been doing since I brought them up out of Egypt. And, it, and it's helpful because it teaches us that kingship isn't just a matter of who's in charge. That kingship is a matter of, of worship. Now, why is kingship a matter of worship? Because here, here the Lord tells us that behind these nations are actually demonic forces are actually principalities and powers. It's a matter of worship. They've, they have rejected, in, in, not, in not making me king, what are they actually doing? They are forsaking me and they're serving other gods. This is a matter not just of who's sitting on a throne, but who we're worshiping. And so they'd thrown off the kingship of God. The people had thrown off the kingship of God long ago. Then by their, by their actions before they ever entered the promised land even. And so God has to warn the people. You want to you want a king like the nations? Well, this is what your rejection is going to bring you. This is what happens when we choose someone else's kingdom over God's. This is what happens. You want, you want the kings of the nations to rule? Okay, this is what they'll do. And so he tells them beginning in verse 9 of, of 1 Samuel chapter 8. He says, now then. Obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, this is verse 11, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and the vineyards and the olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain uh, and your vineyards uh, and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants he will take your male servants and your female servants the best of your young men and your donkeys and they'll put them he'll put them to his work he will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves and in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves but the lord will not answer you in that day he says so so when, when they get a king, they think they want, he says, this will, they will, he will, these king, you want a king like the nations? Well, they will be a king just like the nations. You will get a king just like the nations, but it doesn't mean what you think it's going to mean. And notice, you notice what word is repeated over and over in God's description of, of those kings? What word is repeated over and over? Take, take, take take he will take your sons and basically turn them into meat shields he'll take your daughters he'll take your your best produce he'll take your tithe of the land he will take your servants he'll take your young men he'll take your donkeys he'll take the tithe of your flock take 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 and the only thing he will give you is slavery and tears that's what your kings will give you and side note here's a here's another one of those prayers that the lord says he will not answer right you're going to cry out to me in that day. But what does he say? In that day, you will cry out because of your king. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. God will not answer his people when they reap the consequences of pursuing the kingdoms of the demonic principalities and powers behind the nations around them. 
So that's the warning, right? It hadn't even happened yet. It hadn't even, he just said, look, this is what's going to happen. And so they would go, ooh, that was close. I can't believe we almost did that. Thank you for showing us. Thank you for making it clear. What do they do in the very next verse? And this is going to be a foreshadowing here. It's going to be a foreshadowing of the last thing we're going to talk about. Look at what they do in, in verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. In other words, we don't care what you say. We're still, we still want a king. We still want a king like the nations. But again, that's not surprising when you've read, well, when you've read Deuteronomy, God's already said, they're going to do this. They're going to ask for this. But it's also not surprising when you read what he said in verse 8. Because they actually rejected God's rule a long time ago. Now they're just not pretending anymore. That's all they're saying. And again, you have God's people rejecting his reign over their life. You have God's people. So in the garden, they were not seeking for God's kingdom to come. Here in the life of Israel, they were not seeking for God's kingdom to come. They were wanting a different kingdom, a different king. That's been the story of God's people. But, but even, even this rejection of God's king, right? He's, gonna, he's telling them, you're choosing demonic nations. You're choosing to, ever since I brought them out of Egypt, they've been forsaking me and serving these other gods. Even this is not the most heinous moment where God's people throw off his, even this is not the most egregious time in human history when we forsake the reign of God, when we reject his kingdom coming. That's going to happen a thousand years later. And it happens with the rejection of Jesus Christ. Where the, where the world chooses Caesars and criminals over Christ. We get Jesus coming, Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God. That's very much a part of his ministry and his, 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 his message. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The, king, and the, the very first words of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he says the very first thing, he's just come out of the wilderness, right? And he begins his ministry and what does he say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, these are all very important things for what Jesus is doing. But Jesus isn't just the messenger of his kingdom. Jesus, Jesus is the king coming to bring his kingdom. And it's funny because we don't think about, we don't think about a lot about Jesus and his, his kingdom words. We, we don't often associate those two together, but that's, that's our fault, not his. Because what's funny is his enemies know he's talked a lot about the kingdom. His enemies know what his message has been. And so when they bring, when they bring Jesus before Pilate, when they're trying to figure out how to get him crucified, right? They're trying to come up with what can we do to get him crucified. Their accusation is what? This guy is trying to make himself a king. So you look in Luke chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us. How this just makes this just makes me so mad. He wouldn't let us give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. And so when Pilate interviews Jesus, what's the first question Pilate asks him? It doesn't 
have to do with all these other imagery about who Jesus is, what he's going to do, what he's trying to, what are you trying to achieve here, Jesus? What's the first thing he asks him in John chapter 18, verse 33? So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And what does Jesus say? You go down to verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Now notice Jesus doesn't deny his kingship. Yes, yes, I am the king of the Jews. But you don't understand where my kingdom comes from. My kingdom is not from this world, Pilate. And so Pilate presses even more. He wants to know not about his kingdom, but about him. So uh, in verse 37, Pilate said to him, so you are a king, right? He says, are you a king? Jesus says, my kingdom is not from this world. If it had been, my servants would be fighting, but my kingdom is not from this world. And so Pilate says, so you are a king. If you've got a kingdom, right? Then you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Is Jesus king? Yes, Jesus is king. Even Pilate recognizes it. So surely his freedom is now secure, right? Surely Pilate's just going to let him go, and the people are going to go, Oh, this is our king. Uh, let, let him reign. Just as the people rejected the Lord... Now his people are going to reject their anointed king, their Messiah king. So look at what happens in John 18 and, and in your heads, compare that to the end in 1 Samuel 8 when they said, no, but we will have a king over us. So this is all who Jesus is. He is the king. He's the king of the Jews. He's come to, to save him. He's got a kingdom that is not from this world, sent by the father for this purpose. So what do they say? After he'd said this, he went back outside to the Jews, that's Pilate, and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And this is, this is the spot. In the wilderness, the people rejected God. For the demonic gods of the nations. Here they reject their king. And they do so. By choosing a notorious robber and murderer. They reject their king. In favor of a criminal. A man who was a robber and a murderer. They reject their king. For him, and in a, in a bit of, of, I mean, this is, I mean, think about, it. he was, he was a, a robber and a murderer. I think this is sovereign irony going back to 1 Samuel 8, because here they choose, they choose to release, to be released instead of their king. Who do they want? They want someone known for taking and for death. Just like he said the kings of old would do. So their, their rejection of the king actually culminates, so not there, but at his crucifixion. So they've rejected him there. Pilate comes out, do you want your king? No, we want a criminal. We want a murderer. That's who we'd rather have than this kingdom of God. They, they so don't want the kingdom of God to come. 
that they're choosing criminals. They're choosing demons. That's, who the pe- that's what the people of God. So when, we, when we're talking about your kingdom come, this has been the history of that kingdom. God's people have not sought that. And so, and again, in the most haunting words here, at the very crucifixion in John chapter 19, he's haunting, he's prophetic in many ways, words, Pilate said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So not only only do they not want God to be king over them, not only do they not want that kingdom, they want their king dead. They've moved from mere insurrection to regicide. And they proclaim their loyalty But their loyalty, they don't say, we don't want a king. We've already got a king, the Lord God, right? We have read 1 Samuel. And we know, or they would have just called him Samuel. Uh, We have read Samuel and we know. We have learned our lesson. And instead, what do they do? God sends the king. And not only do they not want him, they want to kill him. And they proclaim, we have no king but Caesar. And the people of God so reject the coming of the kingdom that they reject the king of righteousness for a pagan man who collects the type of taxes that God warned about 1,500 years ago. So known for collecting taxes that Jesus can even use that taxation in an example. Render to Caesar what is Caesar. You know what he wants. He wants your taxes. He's going to take, take, take. And they say, we have no God but him. Jesus came to give, to give life and to give it abundantly. He has come to bring only death and destruction. And they say, that's the king we want. So that's the history of the kingdom of God leading up to this point. This is, this is what's going on when Jesus tells this and tells us to pray, your kingdom come. This is the world of that prayer. This has been the history of that kingdom. This is no minor thing for us to want God's kingdom to come. This is a king and a kingdom that the world has waged war against since the garden. This is why I said this prayer, this request of God, this asking of God is a revolutionary prayer. So I don't want you to read it and think it's some small thing. Like, of course I want God's kingdom to come. Of course I do. This is a matter of spiritual warfare for the people of God to say, no more will we listen to Satan. No more will we seek after the demonic things behind the nations. No more will we choose criminals and Caesars over Christ. We want your kingdom to come. Think about it. If that's the history of this, how are we even praying this prayer today? I mean, what are the odds that in all of this history of of the people of God, here we are praying this prayer and wanting his kingdom to come. 
I mean, there has to be a revolution for that to happen. Again, think about how revolutionary this prayer is. God's people rejecting him as king. Now God's people calling for his kingdom to come. This is, this is the holifying of the people of God. And it's a result of that first prayer. When God's name is lifted up above all the others, then we'll only want him to be our king. He alone will be the one we want to have. What, what did it say? Glory, honor, thanks, and what? Power. That's the only one we'll want to have those things in our life. And what do kings, what do kings want? They want glory, honor, thanks, and power. So when we hallow his name, we are by default setting him up as king in our life. If we lift up God as holy, if we lift him up as, as distinct, as different, that there, that there is no one else like him, then the, the kings of this world will not be able to compare to him. The nations of this world and the gods of this world will be seen for the demonic, worthless things that they are. We won't want a king like the nations. Because we won't want to be like the nations. And as Christ's kingdom, what's crazy is, is as Christ's kingdom advances, it's the nations that are going to want to end up being like us. Think about how revolutionary this prayer is going to be when it's answered. The kingdom that was rejected in favor of the nations is going to be the kingdom that conquers the nations. I mean, you, could, you couldn't get God's people to want this, and now you're going to have this kingdom reigning over everyone, everywhere. This prayer is a revolution in the people of God. It's a revolution in the world, and it's a revolution in your own heart. Because you and I can only pray this prayer and mean it when the kingdom of God has already broken in and conquered our hearts. When Christ has kicked the demons of the nations off of the throne of our hearts. If, if, if we're hearing these words and wanting this to be true, if we're, if we're hearing your kingdom come and we're going, I want that. I don't want to be like Adam and Eve. I don't want to be like the people of God in the wilderness. I, don't wanna, I certainly don't want to be like those Jews standing at the foot of the cross saying, we have no king but Caesar. Away with him, away with him, crucify him. I certainly don't want to be that. If that's the way you are, if that's what you're thinking, think of how blessed you are. Because it's not because you are better than those people. It's not just because you somehow were born and you were so much holier than those people. I mean, the people of God that once balked at this prayer, now you and I, the people of God, are longing for it, are yearning for his kingdom. Again, that's not because you're better than Israel, but because God has graciously holified the desires of your heart. That's because the Savior King that the world rejected has said he, he didn't come asking for permission. He came to bring his kingdom. And that's what we're praying for. And if you want that, if you're longing for that, that's because God has worked a revolution in your heart so long ago. Let's pray. Just take a moment and think about, think about your life, right? It's real easy to do. Think about your life. Who 
What kingdom have you been wanting? Who have you been wanting to reign over every area of your life? Who would you be like? Are you like Adam and Eve when God says, don't do this? You go, I'm going to do it anyway. Because I think my reign over my life is better than yours. I'm going to listen to, the, to a creation like myself rather than my creator. I know what's good for me. Looks good to my eyes. Looks like it, it, it could make me wise. I'm going to choose that. Is that how you're rejecting the kingship of God? He tells you, this is how I want you to live as my child. And instead you're saying, no, I'm going to live this way. And I'm still going to call you king. But just like the Israelites, you, you will have abandoned him long ago. Long ago. Forsaking him and, and, and serving the demonic things of this world. Are you wanting God to reign over every are you, are you wanting God to reign over every area of your life? Are you, are you worried about what it would mean if he reigned over this section of your life? Are you almost afraid to show him that area of your life and to say, God, reign here? Are you, are you trying to let him be? Are you trying to do like some sort of parceling of his kingdom? God, you can have this area, you can, you can control this, but, but, but not my mouth. God, you can't control that. I still, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say what I want to say. God, you be over all this, but not over the way I, I treat my wife. Not over the way I treat my husband. God, I'll give you all these other things, but, but, but not, over, not over my, you know, the, the way I, I, I talk about you in the home. Not about the way I'm leading my family towards you. Let's not talk about that, God. Is God reigning and ruling over every area of your life? Chiefly, Christian, I just, I just want us to be amazed that we want this to be true, that we want his kingdom to come. That I don't think any of us, when we heard that prayer, were going, no, no, no. But why? In a world that said, no, 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 why are we wanting yes, yes, yes? Because God has been gracious to you. So even in your desires for the kingdom, you get a reason to worship your king. The only reason you want him to come is because he has already put himself on the throne of your heart. I mean, we say, I mean, Jesus, Jesus is not a gentleman. He's a conquering king. And if he sits on the throne of your heart today, you better thank him for that conquest. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't rule over you today, you'd better be crying out for a revolution. That's what this prayer is doing. That's what we're praying for, for God's kingdom to come. Next week, we'll talk about what that kingdom means. But right now, I want all of us to ask, where are we in this story? Are we like those people of God who so many times rejected this kingdom? Or are we pursuing the king and the kingdom that comes with him? Father, may your kingdom come. And as we proclaim that and as those here with me, as our hearts cry out for that, Father, we know that there has been a revolution in our hearts for that to take place. That the Christ that the world has rejected 
has come and, and made his seat on our hearts so that we would even cry these things out so that we'd want the king to come and we'd want his kingdom to come. So, Father, today, I, I just want to chiefly thank you because when we look at the story of your kingdom, it is a story of you, a rejected king. And yet here we are praying for these things. We know that is not because of us, God. It is because of you. And so if we're going to look at the kingdom in these weeks to come, Father, I want us to do it from a humble position where we realize we only want this. We only want this because you've already worked these great things in our, your kingdom has already advanced in the dead soil that was once our heart. And you've set up a kingdom there and that kingdom will advance. And so, Father, we start out by being thankful, thankful for the work that you've done in us through Christ that you've given us a king even after we had rejected him. Even after we'd been just like Adam and Eve, even after we'd been just like the people of Israel, even after we'd been just like those at the cross, you had grace on us. And you, you threw off our old rulers and you said, I will be their God when I put my spirit within them. Thank you, Father, for the revolution. I pray we, as your citizens, would work for you and for your kingdom every day as we see it come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.